Welcome to Bite Size Seminary. This is a podcast where we discuss issues in biblical studies, theology, ministry engagement, and following Jesus. With new episodes every other week, we'll dive into the biblical text, discuss resources, book reviews, and interviews. I'm J.C. Schroeder. I'm an instructor at the Ezekiel Project School of Evangelism and a THM student at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I hope that we can encourage each other to live and read scripture more faithfully. If you want to be challenged by new ideas and encouraged by old ones, then keep listening. Today, we're going to talk about the book, Delighting in the Trinity, an introduction to the Christian faith by Michael Reeves. You may be thinking to yourself, oh no, not some like nerdy, nitpicky book about some conundrum that we just cannot understand. And this has nothing to do with with real life. Nope. This book is different. And this is a type of book that fosters warmth and joy in your heart. This is not some stuffy theology book. Delighting in the Trinity will make you see the Trinity in in new light and rejoice. I, I really cannot recommend this book enough. And that's why I wanted to do this as my very first book review in this podcast. So let's dive in. So a little bit of a confession time for me. I'm a slow reader. The first time I read Delighting in the Trinity, I read it in one whole day. That doesn't really happen for me. Now, it does help that this book is short. It's not a long book. It's about 130 pages, but I just could not put it down. Now, I do know also that I'm a nerd and I enjoy these types of books, but Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves was such a breath of fresh air. And I think that all theology books should be more like this one. Michael Reeves' goal is to show the beauty of the triune God and that we would enjoy him. I really like the title of this book too. Uh, I think it's super catchy because that's exactly what Reeves wants us to do. And really, as Reeves will bring out, what the Lord wants us to do is to delight in the Trinity, that this is not some only merely theological truth, but that we would know and enjoy the Father, Son, and Spirit. So what I want to do with you is I just want to kind of give you an overview, the key points of this book, give you uh, an idea of why you should read this book. I don't want this to be like the Cliff Notes version. You get you listen to this, uh, and that's it. You got the book. But really, this is a almost devotional book uh, to experience. And so I would just encourage you to go and check out this book and read it for yourself. But what I want to do is I want to give an overview of the book, kind of um, where the author is going with it and what he is seeking to articulate for us about this really important topic about the very nature of who God is as being uh, a triune God. So this book, again, The Lighting in the Trinity, it has the subtitle of An Introduction to the Christian Faith. It's written by Michael Reeves. It was published by InterVarsity Press in 2012. It's 130 pages long, and it is a very easy read. It's written for the average person, 
and it does not have a lot of technical jargon. And when some jargon is introduced, it's very clearly explained. Really, this book could be given to almost any individual, any believer, any any really non-believer even, and to think about who the Lord is and how he is revealed in Scripture. So this book is broken down into five chapters, has an introduction and a very short conclusion as well. Each of the chapters have these uh, sidebars to them of people who have wrestled with the concept of the Trinity and and or exude the, a burning love for the Lord. And then you have some other sidebars that deal with other issues that are related to the Trinity. So those are nice. They help. They um, break up the book a little bit. Now, when we think of the Trinity, it can evoke all sorts of dilemmas for us. Perhaps there's a small bit of our insides that kind of just go, ooh, I'm not sure what to do with that, or I'm not sure how to explain it. I don't want to be a heretic, or it's just confusing, so I'm just going to segment this off. What Reeves seeks to do in the introduction and really throughout the rest of the book is to show that knowing God is what changes lives, and seeing how desirable he is, it changes our own desires. And this is where he has a bit of a problem with the way that we typically would think of the Trinity, how we would think of it and how we would explain it. He talks about the different illustrations that we might use about the Trinity. So you have the illustration of water. Uh, It is, you know, you have different properties of, uh, or different states that water can be in ice, steam, or liquid, or you have the different uh, components of the egg. And he talks about how not only are these like theologically problematic, but they are also like devoid of, of warmth. Like, okay, great, water in the different states of water. That's not like super encouraging to me. And when we also talk about the Trinity, we can talk about in negative ways, like what is God not? And this is also problematic because it means that like we don't know God and that and this is Reeves point throughout his book is that God is meant to be known and he relates to us in a intimate personal way and when we're thinking about the trinity if we're not thinking about how God wants to be known and how he can be known and we're just thinking of him in illustrations or we're thinking of him in diagrams then we're not really thinking about the the true reality of how he relates to us and how we should relate to him. And so here, uh, this is a, a main theme again of what Reeves says is that God is love. We know that from scripture, right? That as that this is God's, one of his core essences, his core essence that he has is that this is only true for God to be love, that to be part of his essence. That's only true if he is a trinity. He builds on this theme of God is love in chapter one, which he entitles, What Was God Doing Before Creation? The main emphasis here in this first chapter is that if God is love, then there needs to be a trinity. Because if there was nothing prior to creation, then there was nothing for God to love. So if God is just the singular being, this is Reed's argument, if God is just the singular entity and he is love, what is he loving? He can't love it. But if there's this trinity, this triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit, they are have this interpersonal relationship, this interpersonal love in which they are enjoying. 
And that this is shows that God is not a self-centered being. He's not just like loving himself. If he was the singular entity, he would just be loving himself and that'd be super egotistical. But here, they're, the love that the persons of the Trinity exhibit is for each other. And so this is a self-giving love. And this is like core to the gospel, core to the identity of God. And he, he draws this as in contrast to something that theologians call modalism. And Reeves, I think, humorously calls modalism. And this is the idea where God is like one person with different moods. God is the father, and then later he he's the son, and then even later he's the spirit. And he's never those things at the same time. He's just there at certain points, he's one or the other. And he calls this like modalism. But he has this great quote. Reeves says this great, great quote in page 32. He says, the trouble is once you puree the persons, it becomes impossible to taste their gospel, end quote. The reason why you can't taste the gospel is because God is no longer personal and thus is not love. And thus he doesn't love us either. And so he, he draws on this, that this idea, this, this verse in 1 John 4 that talks about that God is love, that necessitates God being a triune being, that God being a trinity. And he develops this further. He continues this in chapter two, where he talks about creation, where all the other ancient gods create just like the biblical God. But the reason why they create is different. For the ancient gods is for selfish means. But for the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, Creation is an outflowing of the love between the Father and the Son for others to also enjoy this love. So they are, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are so enjoying and loving each other, this is Reeves' argument, that uh, for, for eternity, that this spills over to that they want others to enjoy the relationship that they have with each other. And so they go out and create. And this shows that the triune God is outgoing and not in the sense like he's super social at parties, but that he gives and he gives. That's like his core entity down to the core of who he is, is to give. And this boils over in creation with him sending the son and sending the spirit to create others to enjoy their giving. Now, again, in chapter three, Reeves is going to expand on this concept that God is love. And he's going to think about salvation and what it means that God is love in terms of salvation and the role of the Son in our salvation. And he begins with describing humanity and that act of creation and how humanity has been made in the image of God. And we as individuals, as people, are people who love. But after the fall, after the sin of Adam and Eve in, in the garden, our love is no longer like the Father, Son, and Spirit of self-giving. It is bent inward. It is crooked. It has been corrupted. It's still there. We can love, but it is twisted to some regards. So our crooked and bent state now compels the triune God to act and to act unified. 
The father sends the son who suffers and dies willingly. It's not divine child abuse. Each member is integral in our salvation and is willing and united in this act of salvation. So the father sends the son, the son suffers and dies, and the spirit brings that salvation to us and seals us with it. I love this quote on page 69. He says this, quote, without the cross, we could never have imagined the depth and seriousness of what it means to say that God is love, end quote. And the point of this is that love, that outgoing love that the Son shows us on the cross is not possible unless the Son is equal with the Father, unless you have a trinity. And the reality and end result of this experience of our salvation is that we may know the Father personally, but not just personally, but as our own Father. We too can cry out, Abba, Father, because of what the Son has done for us. Reeves also has this great note here on page 76. He says, he talks, well, he talks about how what God gives us is better than forgiveness. And that even other gods can give you forgiveness, can offer forgiveness. But what God does through the Father, Son, and Spirit is he, quote, welcomes and embraces us as his children, never to send us away. And that's the power of the act of the triune God is that it's not just about our sin and, okay, our sins are forgiven, but it's about bringing us into that delight that they have for one another and that we too can delight with them, that he, we have this intimacy with him. Like that's the whole point of our sin and our death is that we've been separated from God and the act of the son brings us into that wonderful intimacy and relationship that we that the father son and spirit enjoy now in chapter 4 reeves talks about the spirit and the spirit's role in the christian life and how the spirit he, he, this is his sub subtitle for the chapter 4 is that the spirit beautifies and that he says this this is not a quote just my summary of it the purpose of the spirit is not only to bring that salvation to the to the believer but to cause believers to grow and flourish in it. Isn't that exciting? Like that that's I think I find that very exciting of how it's not just that the Lord saves us and goes, "All right, you're saved. Let's have this relationship." Great. But that the spirit excites in us and changes us to so that we may be the type of individuals that he created us to be. And since the spirit himself delights in the father and the son. He desires to move us into that same delight in them. And he knows that we are bent. He knows that our desires are crooked and he seeks to correct those desires. And the point is that God doesn't want mere obedience. And this is what we saw, uh, I think earlier, God does not want mere obedience, but the Spirit works to unbend our love away from ourselves and toward the Lord. He wants that intimate relationship with Him. 
And the Spirit works to excite that love for the Father, for the Son, just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit have this love for them. Now, the ramification of the Spirit working in this way for us, to in inviting us and exciting us to love the triune God, is that it also works, that the Spirit also works in us to bring us to bring this life-giving love to others. It's, again, not a selfish love because the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit is a giving love. So when the Spirit excites in us the love for God, it also excites in us the giving love toward others. He makes this great point. We become like what we worship. And so when we see the self-giving love of the Lord, and his missional attitude, that has to shape our own missional attitude. If our love is a selfish love, then we do not have the love of God. But when we see the selfless love, the self-giving love of God, that compels us to love the Lord and to love those around us. Now, and in his final chapter, chapter 5, he talks about our conceptions of God. And he makes this really interesting idea that as in the last several hundred years, as the church has kind of retreated or moved away from emphasizing the idea of the Trinity, you see a, an advance of atheism. So he makes this argument where the reason why people are not interested in God is because the church has not emphasized the beauty of the Trinity. And he thinks that this has to do with how we conceptualize not just the, not just the theological doctrine of the Trinity, although I think he would say that that's part of it, but even the very words that we use to describe God. And so what he does through, through this chapter is he thinks through some of the words we use about the Lord and the Trinitarian implications of them. Now, he has this quote on page 116, which shocked me when I read it, to be honest with you. And it's been kind of haunting in, in thinking about this. But he makes this quote, For what we think God is like must shape our godliness. And what we think godliness is reveals what we think of God, end quote. And I've just been thinking about that, of what we think godliness is reveals what we think of God. Man, that's hard because I think about like godliness. I don't know about you, but I, I think about godliness. I think about, well, I've got to do what's, do what's right. And so it becomes more of a rule-based thing. But then that shapes my conception of who God is, that he's a, he wants only me to follow the rules, and that's it. But God is so much more than that. And so when we think of, the, of our conceptions of, what, of how God wants us to be and who God is, both of those work together to shape for the better or even for the worse our relationship with the Lord and like the core of, of our Christianity. And so here, what Reeves does is he looks at these key words to think about how, how should we actually think about them? Should they be stuffy theological words? Or how can we incorporate God 
as being love, as this triune being, into how we think about these terms. So he thinks of words like holiness, anger, and glory. I'll just mention one of them. I'll let you check out the rest of the book. But the, first, the, the third one, glory, when we think of glory, we can almost think of we need to glorify God. And that almost can conceptualize God as a needy being. He needs my glory as if that would like inflate him or make him feel better about himself or something like that. But what Reeves points out is that when we glorify God, we're not giving him anything because he doesn't need anything and we can't really give him anything, but we are ascribing to him what he already has. And that idea, you know, again, think, thinking through the triune God as Father, Son, and Spirit, as God is love, that reconceptualizes how we think of something like the glory of God and how we relate to him as giving him glory. Now, he concludes the book with a couple of great quotes. And I'll just give you this one because I, I just, I love this, right? And so he concludes this chapter and really the end of the book by just showing the beauty of who the Lord is and their actions and their self-giving love that the Father, Son, and Spirit has. He says this, quote, this is on page 127 and 128, quote, in actual fact, though God is dead, is where true faith begins. For on the cross, Christ the glory puts to death all false ideas of God. And as he cries out to his father and offers himself up by the spirit, Hebrews 9, 14, breathing out, at, out his last, he reveals a God beyond our dreams. That's a God I want to worship. That's a God I want to serve. And that type of God, the God who reveals himself in scripture, who reveals himself in his son, is the God that we have. And that's the joy of what Reeves brings out. Like The, the, the thing I appreciate about Reeves' book is that he's bringing out what is in scripture of the beauty of the Lord. And many times when we're thinking about the Trinity, we don't see that beauty. We only see the God is not the Son, or the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, but we don't see the rich beauty of who he is. And thus, we don't delight in him. And what I like about what Reeves does is that he just reveals the true heart of God and forces us to think about it, not in polemical terms, not in uh, study theological terms, but just thinking of the beauty of the Lord so that we would delight in him. Now, you probably have an idea of what I think about this book so far. Some strengths that this book has is that it just lights a love for the triune God and an intimacy with him. It also helps us by moving beyond simple descriptions or illustrations of the Lord uh, that are not that are that are that can be sometimes misleading uh, or are problematic. And it moves us beyond that is very scripturally grounded and it's not, it's not polemical, right? It's, it's just showing how wonderful and beautiful the Lord is. And then the final thing that I thought of, of a real strength of this book is that it helps the reader see 
the reverberations of the Trinity in the believer's life. Like this has real value for my day-to-day living. And it has consequences of moving away from who God is. The, the less I know God as triune, the more problems I'm going to have in my own personal life. And so Reeves just helps bring out some of these practical consequences, these practical issues of why the Trinity is so important for us. Now, some weaknesses that this book has. None. Okay, this is a joke. No, that is true. I This book is, is fabulous. But, you know, you have to know what this book is, right? It's a short book. So if you're looking for some serious, like 500 page book on the defense of the Trinity, this ain't it. And that's okay. Uh, you may still have some further questions out of this book uh, about the exact logistics of the Trinity. And that that's fine. This, you know, can only, you, you can only cover so much in so much time. Uh, and so you may need an additional book beyond this one, but I think this is just a fabulous starting point and should be the focus of our thinking is the practical implications of this for our Christian lives. So some of the more technical language and discussions that you might find in a thicker theology book are, are absent, which maybe that's a weakness, maybe that's a positive. Uh, and so you may need to do additional reading if you want more of the nitty gritty details, but this is the starting point, I think, for thinking about the Trinity because it grounds it in um, not just philosophical ideas, but in scripture, number one, but in the importance of how we relate to God and how he relates to us. So my overall recommendation, you should buy this book and you should read it. There's no substitute than just sitting down and reading it and being excited about the Lord that we have, being moved to worship. Uh, I and when I read this book, I've read this book a few times actually. I don't really reread books too often. I've read this book three times. It's just that good. So you really need to experience this one for yourself. And I think you will definitely find your heart drawn to the Lord more after reading it. And what else can you really want from a book? So that's all I have on this book and for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider following the podcast and or giving an honest review. Even share it with a friend. You can check out my website, bitesizeseminary.com, or connect with me on Twitter, at BitesizeSem. And uh, you can see all those notes in and links in the show notes below. And thanks for listening. <laughs>